Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. This one's going to be great. This one's actually going to be a little bit different, but I think you're going to be fascinated by today's conversation with Nate. Nate is the founder and president of growershouse.com, growersnetwork.com, Canna Cribs, his YouTube channel, and truepotency.com. Nate is an expert in the marijuana business, in the cultivation equipment business, and started his business from scratch. Nate and I met in January of this year at an e-commerce conference. We were both part of the e-commerce fuel community, which is an online community for million-dollar e-commerce sellers. And we were at the conference and Nate was giving a presentation on building community. And then we talked afterwards and I thought it would be a great episode for you. Something a little bit different. Agriculture is a part of the irrigation and landscape industry. And of course, everyone today is talking about marijuana, whether you consume it or just want to learn more about it. It is definitely a growing part of our industry. And I think you're going to like today's episode. So without further ado, let's jump right in. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Hi, my name is Nate owner of Growers House, one of the top suppliers of cultivation equipment in the world. I help growers source equipment and put together some of the largest, most advanced cannabis growing operations. I am constantly looking for the top products and methods needed to grow the best cannabis. Join me on a tour where I get inside access to the industry's leading cannabis grow ops. This, my friends, is Cannacruz. Okay, Nate, welcome to the Sprinkler Nerd Show. Thank you. I'm glad to be on. Yeah, likewise. And you and I met probably about three weeks now. We're both a member of the e-commerce fuel community for million-dollar e-commerce sellers. And you gave an amazing presentation about building community and network around the business that you're in. And I was in the audience And I'm still fascinated by it. I would like to learn more about how to build a community for my business. But then the more I started learning about your business, I thought, man, this could be a pretty interesting episode to talk about the commercial growing and the cannabis industry here on the show. And so why don't we just start by you telling us who you are, what you do, and uh, all that good stuff. Yeah, that's a good place to start. And, you know, it is pretty funny how our paths have crossed not only in e-commerce, but in things related to irrigation, fertigation, things of that sort from these kind of different industries. But I got my quite a while ago. I was going to school at the University of Oregon, and there I was double majoring kind of in like economics and finance, which are two things that are like kind of pretty similar. But I thought I was going to go into the financial sector. I had, you know, some family that was working in New York in the financial sector. And I was pretty into things related to math and economics. So it seemed like a good fit for me. And then I interned at Morgan Stanley, and I really didn't like it. So I was there for like three months. And I was like, okay, finance industry is definitely not for me. 
So at that point, I decided to look towards the next itch to scratch. But the path for finance to me seemed like so well laid. Like the bricks were laying down in front of me. It just turns out I didn't like it. Everything else to me, there wasn't like a clear path. So what I decided to do was go after my interest of a little bit of entrepreneurship. I was always interested in the idea of starting my own business. So from looking at it, you know, through what I thought I was an economist eyes, I was saying, okay, what markets out there are doing really well? And if I'm going to be my own boss, which market would I be interested in being in? And when I was trying to answer those questions, the one that kept coming to the top was the cannabis industry. Because this is like circa 2010. And in 2010... Okay, that was going to be my next question. What year? 2010. Fantastic. 2010, we're talking about a time in you know the, this country in the USA where like California and Colorado had medicinal cannabis and then the rest of the country was just totally illegal. So... It was like the things were just starting to get moving. So I knew that I was still a young buck and I uh, decided to go and I'd work for some other people in the cannabis industry and kind of get my feel for it. So I ended up working for a dispensary in San Francisco and, you know, getting there, I ended up like couch surfing on my brother's couch who lived in San Francisco. And I was like, just let me stay there. I promise I will find a job as soon as possible and be out of you and your girlfriend's hair. <laughs> And I'll do all your dishes and do all your laundry. So after about three weeks, I ended up landing a job at a dispensary. And that's where I started to learn about the industry. And I thought I was going to open a dispensary. I thought that would be something very interesting. But I then realized that around 2010, if you open a dispensary, a cannabis dispensary, there's still a lot of local district attorneys, depending on what city or what county you're in in California, saying, I either abide by state law, you know, you're allowed to have a dispensary, or they say, this goes against federal law and we want to shut down your business. So imagine opening a business with the existential threat of someone just saying you have to shut down and you have to stop moving forward. So are you saying that district attorney holds that card, if you will? They just basically get to make that decision? They kind of did. And what they would do sometimes is they would send the police into the dispensary and shut it down. And then they would just want to go to court with the dispensary and deal with it there. And the DA would just want to basically be in court against the dispensary, which is Unfortunate because many times the dispensaries would win because they were within the state rules and they were state licensed dispensaries. But I didn't want to be like in a situation where I would have to fight for my business's validity in court rather than just being able to run the business. You know, that doesn't seem like a good scenario. So I decided that running a dispensary probably wasn't for me. But I noticed while working at a dispensary, we buy a lot of cultivation equipment. Like that's one of our biggest expenses. So it started to click for me that like, you know, you can still participate in this industry without being a dispensary. There's a lot of ancillary businesses to the cannabis space. So I then went and worked for someone who we bought some equipment from and he was in retail and online kind of hydroponics focused retailer. And after working there for about, I think around eight months, I really got an understanding of how that business works. And it seemed like it had a lot of headroom in terms of growth. And the thing is with dispensaries, you're very geographically kind of localized, can't really ship things. People have to drive to your store. With the hydroponic side, you can ship all over the country, even internationally. So I was like, wow, I could benefit from this growing and booming cannabis industry while still being a business that we consider what we call light side. So 
I could be selling to, and we do right now, sell to like the USDA, NASA, a lot of universities, even Ivy League ones. So we have a diverse customer group, but that gives me um, peace of mind and I can sleep at night not knowing I'm going to be raided by cops or the DA. And those those problems for dispensaries are, are mainly gone at this point. But now I have a business in the kind of hydroponic sector that's one of the largest ones in the U.S. who kind of focus on these specialty equipment. Right. And then uh, we're doing some international business too. So at this point, we just broke $30 million last year, and we're hopefully going to see some pretty good growth this year too. So we'll see where we end up in 2020. Fantastic. You had this uh, realization that instead of going into the dispensary side of the business, you could go into the cultivation equipment side of the business. What did you do first? How did you find suppliers? Were you drop shipping? How did you actually get this business off the ground? Yeah. So there are two main distributors and there always kind of were in the this kind of hydroponic specialty growing equipment space. And I call it hydroponic specialty growing equipment. And it's funny because the term hydroponics is a little bit of like a misnomer. When people say hydroponics store, I think a lot of people associate that with like cannabis. And the thing is, a lot of hydroponic stores sell a lot of non-hydroponic equipment. Like they sell pots, they sell soil, they sell cocoa. You know, they sell a lot of things that have nothing to do with hydroponics. But it's just become like a catch-all term. So if I were to correctly categorize what we sell, I would say we sell specialty gardening and equipment supplies, primarily for high value crops. Okay. So got it. there's kind of a distinction there because no one's going to pay for a huge expensive installation when they're growing something that only costs, you know, a few cents a pound, right? Like, let's say we're talking about bushels of corn or tomatoes or something like that. So going back to, let me see your original question. No, no worries. It was um, really like, how did you get this off the ground? You had an idea and you're going to start this business. Oh yeah. The two distributors. Yeah. That I wanted to jump into. So why I wanted that explanation is there are two primary distributors in the U S that sell that kind of equipment. And at the time we're talking about one called sunlight supply and another one called hydro farm. And I wanted to, you know, make sure that I was open with both of those because they carry most of the big brands that most of the growers in this sector want. So it was a little bit tough to find somewhere because since these distributors have a lot of stores all across the country and they want to respect those stores and give them enough um, geographical area to do business, I couldn't open a new store, like let's say down the street from a, a store that's already doing business with both of them. So I basically had to find like an area to start a business that was far away from everything. <laughs> so I wanted to locate maybe Las Vegas or Phoenix to have good shipping since I knew I was going to do a fair amount of e-commerce, but uh, they were totally concentrated with other stores and there was no room for me. So I ended up having to move down to Tucson, Arizona. And I was kind of choosing the Las Vegas, Phoenix, Tucson area because I wanted to ship into California and Colorado because those were the two states that were buying everything really. But back in the day with e-commerce, you know, you could locate in one state and ship into another. And if you didn't have a physical location in that state, you didn't have to charge sales tax. So that's no longer a thing. <laughs> so um, I would say that maybe helped us out for about five years until we had to like basically um, kind of incorporate in those states and start paying sales tax. But it was a really good thing to help us get off the ground because like, let's say someone's building out a commercial growing operation and they need to spend $100,000 in California, 10% sales tax that automatically goes up to 110 grand. But if they bought through me, then they would just, they'd save that tax. Have you had orders that are that? high in value? 
Yeah, yeah. So our business, we have kind of a B2B and B2C sector. So the B2C, we consider kind of more of like your hobbyist grower, someone who grows not as their main source of income. And then we have the commercial growers, which usually are like universities, the state licensed cannabis facilities, things of that nature. And they usually have like net 30 accounts with us. They have accounting departments. You know, they um, are usually buying a fair amount of equipment regularly every month. They have a dedicated sales rep. So they're two very different styles of business. Sometimes I kind of feel like I have, because these two different customer groups are pretty different, we have like two different businesses that just have the same back end office a little bit. How do you separate those on your front end? Or do you separate them with pricing and such? Yeah, they definitely are separated in terms of pricing just due to volume, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're a business, you sometimes they'll put out, let's say it's three bids, the best bid wins, right? So you have to be reactive to those sort of things. So in separating the business properly and pricing and things of that sort, we're actually doing a little bit of a redevelopment of our site right now. Because right now I would say the growershouse.com site is a little bit more B2C focused because that's how we started. So right now the B2B business is mainly done with our commercial sales reps directly with the commercial operation where they will be taking all their information about what kind of growing operation they have, maybe how they can help. And it's a lot of phone interaction, phone and email interaction with the commercial customers. They kind of use the site as like a catalog, but they know that we're going to give them custom pricing. And then once we solidify their pricing, we can just do reorders for them and things like that. Right now, we're jumping from Magento 1 to Magento 2. And when we do that, which is just a website platform for those who are not familiar, when we jump to Magento 2, we're also going to have things for our commercial customers, like a quick order entry form. We're going to be able to hard code their pricing in per customer on the site because we really want them to be able to use that just to expedite the process, both for them and on our side, right? It's a lot less manual that way. So I think we can get more done with the same staff. Yeah. How did you recognize, at what point in your business did you recognize you needed to hire a commercial account manager to be making some of these calls? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So hiring commercial account manager, the funny thing about that is as the industry grew, so did our staff. And what I mean by that is, the cannabis industry kind of started out in 2010 with a lot of people growing in like for themselves or in garages, right? So it wasn't really commercial. It was just like taking a hobbyist setup and magnifying it. And those growers started to increase the size of their operations. And all the people that do customer service at Grower's House are growers themselves. So they had experience growing. And as the industry matured and there became more demand, the need for larger growing operations just became inevitable. And my staff, as these larger growing operations started coming up and the technology did, we were helping them build these out. We were doing site visits. We were getting training and things like that. So it's almost like at the same time the industry was growing, so were our account reps. So a lot of the sales reps who were just kind of hobbyists and working with hobbyists in, let's say, 2012, 2013, our commercial sales reps now. And we do things such as like sending some of our reps to the University of Arizona where they can do training courses on controlled environment agriculture. So that kind of education along with having, you know, maybe manufacturers come down and train staff about greenhouses or this type mm -hmm. of automated ir irrigation or this type of lighting mm -hmm. has really just 
help them elevate their crafts so they can speak meaningfully to customers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you don't mind me asking, how is your staff? Are they all under one roof? Are they remotely located? What does that look like? Yeah, they're all under one roof. I'm a pretty big fan of being able to walk over and say hi to someone and say, oh, hey, what about this? Or can I help you with that? And it is important for me. Mm-hmm. But of course, at the same time, the world is becoming so much more like kind of dispersed where people are working remotely. So we're trying to embrace that a little bit where we can or where it makes sense. But basically all the sales staff is under one roof here in Tucson, Arizona. We have like a 40,000 square foot warehouse slash office. And, you know, we do have actually kind of like what I consider four brands that are operating under that one roof. And so that's growershouse.com, growersnetwork.org, the can of cribs video series, and then truepotency.com, which is kind of like the consumer reports for CBD products. Yeah. So basically everything is, yeah, kind of revolving around e-commerce and somehow cannabis or hemp industry in one shape or form. Yeah. And and media, you know, so you've got sort of like the quadfecta, if that's a word, with the commerce platform, the network platform, the media platform, and then I'm not sure what we would call the true potency, but the... um, Yeah. Just another e-commerce store, really. Yeah. But, you know, the Growers Network and the Canicribs, those businesses... When you mentioned, you know, do you have people outside of the office, like outside sales reps, maybe you were thinking, I don't really have outside sales reps because we have so much inbound. Yeah. Demand. You guys are generating that demand. Yeah. So our salespeople are our website, growersnetwork.org and can of cribs. Those are what get people to be interested in us to reach out. So I actually just need people in the seats taking in the phone calls and emails traffic that comes in, which I think is really a good place to be in because people want to do business with us. I would agree. Yeah. The reason I thought of it is because you had first mentioned that all of your staff, i.e. maybe customer service and commercial account managers have experience in the industry. Uh And when I think about, you know, where I live here in Traverse City, I can't just go find a team that has all this experience. And so that's why I was curious whether if you want someone with experience, maybe there's someone that lives in Florida and maybe somebody in Seattle. And so, but in Tucson, I'm assuming there's a pool of experience there that you've taken from. Man, the pool is small. I will say that. So (laughs) I feel like, you know, everyone who I could kind of pull from this area, I've just about done, but the other thing that we've done is, you know, we've, we've invested a lot of training into the staff and we have weekly sales meetings. And, you know, what I'm really proud that our like sales director did is just set up a whole bunch of equipment in the sales room. Like we have a pretty open floor plan sales room and there's like 15 people in there. And we just started setting up a whole bunch of controllers and grow tents and LED lights and equipment. And it's just on and running in there. So like they can be on a phone call and like asking questions and like, huh, wonder how this works. Cause I haven't particularly used this product or this setup and they can jump over and we can bust a few products out and they can kind of try it out. So being able to have that, it's almost like their R and D lab. That's like literally yeah. 20 feet away from them at their disposal, I think is also made it so that my staff can speak intelligently about products with people, which You know, when you're talking about growing irrigation, fertigation, anything associated with those things, a lot of times you're talking about putting together like tens, if not hundreds of components that no one has a direct manual for. So 
a lot of times it's like, if you don't have the experience, like you're going to make a lot of mistakes and so hopefully someone can help you make less mistakes. Right. That's a good point. And I think that in the sort of the commoditization of parts and Amazon and other internet suppliers that you've got to find a way to add value. And so if you're company and staff is the most knowledgeable, you shift the focus from what is the price of this cultivation equipment over to, I'm not so much concerned about the price. I just know that Nate's team at Grower's House is freaking phenomenal. And I go there because they're the best. Yeah. 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 We try. Um, It's funny with the irrigation equipment. I mean, there's so many little parts. It's like we have some irrigation equipment on the website, but a lot of times when someone calls us in uh, to do a commercial operation, like we were going over one yesterday that it's going to be, I think about a hundred light room. So a hundred thousand watt lights. So it's an all indoor facility and they're going to be, you know, using a multi-thousand dollar or multi-thousand gallon tank that goes out to like an eight parasaltic pumps that feed nutrients into like 20 zones that are rolling benches inside. And it's all that componentry. It's like, we don't really have it on the site. So someone would reach out to us and we actually have someone who uh, is a master's in controlled environment agriculture from the university of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And he does kind of CAD designs for our customers that are mm-hmm. commercial. And they say, he says, okay, this component goes here, this component goes there. So they can hand it over to a plumber and the plumber can basically put everything together. A lot of these parts are like, you know, from Netafim or yeah. Jane or other companies like that. And it, it, That's right. so. it will have, you know, 127 parts that we can pull from the catalog. And that's probably very similar to the things that happen uh, with your customers, your listeners. Yes, that would be more like a standard commercial irrigation system where either the contractor or a consultant or a distributor would put a design together in order to come up with the material takeoff and the component that are necessary. And that is definitely out of the hobbyist arena and into that commercial environment. And that may lead into my next question. Is there a difference between a commercial cannabis operation and let's say a commercial tomato operation? Mm. Like is growing ag the same and we're switching out the crop or are there uniquenesses about cannabis? Exactly. I think there are definitely unique aspects to growing cannabis versus tomatoes. But when it comes down to it, I still believe that like a, a plant is a plant is a plant. They have different growing characteristics, but sometimes I think they put certain plants on a pedestal as if it's so much different than other plants. And when that's truly not the case, I think you can take a lot of experience from growing other crops and still be uh, at least relatively successful at growing cannabis your first time. But of course, there's always that top 10 or 5 or 1% who really do something special to the plants, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the people that make the big bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And the reason I'm sort of asking is because you were able to see an upcoming market trend with cannabis. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say reinvent anything, but create a cultivation equipment business around it. Meanwhile, agricultural equipment and greenhouse suppliers have been around for many, many, many years and could have all done the exact same thing because they already sell this equipment to growers everywhere. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Why, did, why didn't they go in this direction? You know, I think they didn't jump on the bandwagon as quickly because they have a lot of legacy customers. And, you know, the legacy agricultural industry, I would say, is maybe not also the most liberal industry. 
And so I think they were lagging a little bit and jumping on the train. And I've heard that before where greenhouse companies mm-hmm. or other traditional ag companies didn't want to be associated with cannabis for some time. And they were worried about alienating their current customers if they did so. I think that's much less so the case today in 2020 than it was in, say, 2015, right? Okay. There's been a huge social and cultural shift in the country in the last, you know, you could say five or 10 years, any amount of time. And it, it just keeps moving at, at this almost, you know, exponential rate, it seems, with the um, people opening cannabis in different states medicinally or recreationally. And, you know, kind of going back to your comment, I, I kind of got a head start because I didn't have those legacy customers. I knew my focus was mm-hmm. this customer and how it also differs from traditional agriculture. If you think about it this way, a lot of people who are even growing cannabis now in these commercial growing operations, the people that are hired as their directors of cultivation are often people who have grown cannabis in the past. So what products are they familiar using? They're familiar using the products that they were when they were growing 50 plants or 30 plants or five plants, right? And when they were growing those plants, they were buying equipment from me. And as they scale up, they like to use things that they're familiar with. So versus if you took someone who grew cannabis, like 30 plants, take them into a commercial facility, and then you ask him to buy, you know, products, he's, he's not looking towards the agriculture industry. He's not like, you know what, I'm going to need a combine and those Tron things. And <laughs> they just weren't thinking yeah. that way. So that gave an opening to someone like me to do business in this sort of way. And the other thing is commercial agriculture, they are smart. They've been doing this for a long time and they found ways to optimize and find efficiencies so that they can grow inexpensively. Cannabis kind of had the luxury of being so expensive that you can invest a ton of money in your growing operation and you'd still, after one crop, you'd pay for all of it. Or you could buy stuff you don't need and you go, oops, I guess I don't need that, but that's okay. I still have profit. I won't do it next time. Yeah. And I think you have a much smaller margin of error with traditional agriculture. And I will say this. I do believe that in the future, cannabis will be a commodity just like mm-hmm. all the other things that we buy, whether it's a peach, an apple, you know, a corn. Economy of scale will play into this. That's right. Yeah. I mean, even if you want to think about it in terms of like, let's say making, you know, if you want to say something that's a little bit similar, like on the vice side, maybe it's like a cigarettes or tobacco, or it's like a, a spirit. They know how to grow those and manufacture that at scale. And now it just comes down to a branding play. What brand do you like for these small interests? So the product will find its natural floor, which it's creeping down. You know, the cost and price of cannabis is going down. So I don't think people are throwing around money in the same way that they used to, although it's still a high value crop, still much more highly valued than, you know, the commoditized crops that we were just talking about. So people are still investing more money in it now. Mm -hmm. How long would that last? I mean, you still have, I would say, you know, another decade of people having more money than they would with other crops. And the thing is, we're just talking about the U.S. Other countries are really starting to open up. I think Canada was the first one that really took a big move forward. Now the U.S. is following pretty fast in its footsteps. But there are some other countries like South Africa. You know, actually, Uruguay was the first 
national country to legalize. And these countries are reaching out to us for equipment and they, they see the U.S. and Canada as kind of like the mecca of growing cannabis. So they are looking to us for, okay, how are they doing it over there? How can we do that over in our country? You know, who are the professionals in the U.S.? How can we bring them over here? So there's a lot of consultants that are coming out of the industry right now. You know, I've been hit up for consulting many times, whether it's on just sourcing equipment or how to build growing operations or kind of anything, just even understanding the industry. Fascinating. How does the role of those two distributors still play? And when I say that, is there a threat of competition from the people you buy products from that they would see your business and say, man, Nate's really killing it out there. We need to get into the business that... It's really interesting because the distributors in our industry are kind of like manufacturers as well. So I would call them half distributor, half manufacturer. And they're benefiting by using stores because I think they want to be able to really go after the hobbyists, but they don't want to do kind of the business side of owning a store and working with the hobbyists. So having retail partners is really important for them. I think on a commercial side, you know, then it becomes like a little bit trickier because it's like, I'm a business, they're a business. And I think right now the distributor manufacturers just want to make sure that they get their product as a manufacturer into as many growing operations as possible. So I think that's kind of what their goal is. So they're looking for retail partners that are able to get their products in there and then those will be their strategic partners. Right. And there's still enough of those out there and there's still enough opportunity there where it hasn't matured perhaps to the point where they've reached saturation and they need a new channel, there's still enough brick and mortar retail business to to have. Like I said, we started with two big distributors, the Sunlight Supply and Hydrofarm, which Sunlight Supply has since been bought by God's Miracle Grow and they changed their name to Hawthorne. And, you know, they're still two of our biggest suppliers, but we have like 300 other suppliers now because we have like access to around 16,000 products. It's just making sure that we can have all the products necessary that our customers are asking for. We want to be a one-stop shop. So I think there's a lot of products and distributors and, you know, the amount of categories we even have on our site. It's everywhere from lighting to pest control, dehumidification, fans, carbon filters, you know, trimming and harvesting equipment, packaging equipment. Yeah. I mean, the list goes on. I think we have like Once you do all the drill down categories within parent categories, we have like 300 categories, I think. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So, you know, in the landscape industry, we grow and cultivate plants for aesthetic purposes outside of agriculture, right? And so I feel like we do like to talk about marijuana because it's a plant and a lot of the people listening consume it recreationally or medicinally. And I'd like to hear from you. If somebody wanted to grow a plant, let's say they have a couple seeds left over in their bag and they want to plant them, they could go to Home Depot and buy some soil and and a container and plant it. They could stick it in the shrub bed out in the front yard, or they could maybe come to you and buy some stuff. Is there any sort of recommendation you'd have for the super hobbyist that just wants to grow a plant? Yeah. Like I said, it's just like any other plant. You could get a pot, some soil, throw the seed in there. Make sure the conditions are good and you will have the cannabis plant like that will happen. Some people don't like doing that because maybe they don't want to advertise to their neighbors, whether it's either in the front or the back that there's a cannabis plant. They still want someone maybe taking it. So, um, <laughs> I think that's why a lot of people like to grow indoors. 
plus you can control the environment a little bit better. And if it's a high value crop, you know, let's say you buy the dispensary, but you grow your own plant. Oh, that plant turns out it's producing around $500 worth of cannabis. There's obviously an incentive for someone to maybe steal that from you. So that's, I think, why people like to bring things indoors. It's the privacy aspect as well. You know, one thing that we actually have that we built that I really like, it's been really awesome for us, is a grow tent configurator. So on our website, there's uh, basically a software that we built where you can say, okay, I want to build a grow tent for myself. And then it's the first step is, okay, well, why don't you choose the size of grow tent that you would like, which also shows you how many plants could fit in it, like we'd recommend. So it could be a two foot by two foot tent because you want just maybe one plant or two plants. And then they go up to three by three foot, four by four, five by five. And then I think it jumps to four feet by eight feet. And then it goes to like five feet by 10. And we even have one that's like 10 feet by 20 feet. And that's not really a hobbyist setup <laughs> per se. <laughs> 10 feet by 20 feet is obviously pretty big. But, um, you know, I think the majority of people are buying kind of like that three foot by three foot or four foot by four foot space. And it becomes a little science project. And when you start out, after you choose the amount of space that you want to grow in, then it takes you to what kind of light would you want? And it shows you the different light types. And mainly there are three categories. So there's LED, one called HID, which is just a parent name for like high pressure sodium or metal halide, HPS or MH. And then there's CMH, which is ceramic metal halide, which is kind of in a category of its own because it's a little bit more of an efficient lighting technology, but a little more expensive. So we show the different lighting technologies you can choose and kind of the relative price. So let's say we you know, wanted to make our science experiment the LED, a three foot by three foot grow tent with an LED. And then the last step, you just choose, do you want to grow in soil or a cocoa, or do you want to have a little bit of a hydroponic setup, which we have an ebb and flow or a flood and drain setup. So there's four options. And then once you choose that, then it kind of spits out a package that has a three by three foot tent, an LED light. And let's say, you know, let's say I wanted to grow organically. So I chose soil an organic soil, and then it comes with all the components that you would need. So like a carbon filter, so it doesn't smell, fan to exhaust it out, and then it comes with a thermometer, hygrometer, so you can see the temperature and humidity inside the tent, and then just all the other small little components you would need. Wow. So it's sort of like you're getting this kit then to grow tent kit configurator. When you're done, you have all the parts that you would need. Yeah, exactly. The only thing we don't include, I think, is nutrients, but we make it like an add-on option because people kind of are particular about the nutrients they use. It's kind of like what shampoo, you know, do you want to use or toothpaste? And maybe you have a preference. Do you want to use that? Like I use Sensodyne. I don't know. I really like it. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's great. So for anyone who's listening that may want to experiment with growing one of their own plants or a couple, depending on their state laws and such, or growing another crop, I don't know, tomatoes or something, you can visit Grower's House and get a kit. Yeah, it's so funny because we've had plenty of customers reach out to us who just say, I want to grow the most amazing heirloom tomato. And then they buy a $2,000 indoor grow tent hydroponic setup to do it. So it's not like everyone on our site is growing cannabis or medicinal crops. There are some people out there who just really want to take whatever crop it is they're interested in, make a science experiment of it, take it to the next level. I don't do so much customer service anymore, but I used to do customer service when we first started. And I used to be on the phone for like an hour and a half. Some people just, we would just be going off on how to grow the best cucumber in a grow tent, like which $800 LED light should they use? 
and it was fun. Right. I, I really enjoyed that. But that uh, is the shit you do when you start the business. You do everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely everything. Yeah. Now it's just we have like you know close to fifty employees, so there's a fair amount of people to help us out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we've been chatting here for quite a while. We'll have to save, I think, the conversation about the network you've built and some other things or maybe another time. I know this has been interesting for me personally to hear your e-commerce story startup and how you got into it. And, you know, you scaled up to 30 million and, and a staff of 50, which is incredible. I'm just really... Uh, happy for you and excited to, to hear that. And uh, thanks for sharing, you know, all of this information. And even for the person who just wants to grow a couple plants and be a super hobbyist, how they can get started. Yeah. And, you know, for those on the commercial side too, I mean, I would definitely take a hard look at the cannabis industry because I know a lot of people who are just doing landscape design and irrigation outside of the cannabis industry who have made pretty good careers out of just focusing on the cannabis industry or just adding it to their portfolio. I'd highly recommend that they get into it because a lot of the cannabis growers, as they become hobbyists and go to commercial, that's honestly the one big blind spot they have. They don't know how to do commercial irrigation because it's such a big difference when you go from a four foot by four foot operation and then you need to pressure compensate lines with emitters for 10,000 plants and it's just a whole nother ball game and they need help. Yeah. Last week I visited a growing operation in New Jersey called Garden State Growers and they do not grow cannabis. And it's a company that I'd been working with on the baseline side of my business, which is the control side. And they mm-hmm. retrofitted something like 16 controllers and 600 zones of irrigation with pumping out of ponds into mm-hmm. storage tanks with pressure and it's very, very complicated system. And mm-hmm. that is the type of system where you would get your professional irrigation contractor involved to assist. And it scales way outside of hobbyists or even small operation. Yeah, I've seen people spend with a quarter of a million dollars on the irrigation setup. So Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we'll talk offline more about that. And I uh, just want to thank you again, Nate, for sharing all this information and uh, appreciate your time today. Yeah. Glad to be on. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. See you next time. Bye. That was awesome. Nate is such an expert in this field. And if there's one thing you can remember from this episode, it is to go check out his YouTube channel, Canna Cribs. I have already spent too much time watching the videos and it's definitely entertaining. And Nate's done a great professional job putting some of this stuff together. So again, Nate is the founder and president of growershouse.com. If you need supplies for your agricultural growing operation, or would like to purchase stuff as a hobbyist grower, you can visit growershouse.com. He's also the founder of Growers Network, which is an online community where growers can help each other learn in the field, as well as his YouTube channel, Canna Cribs, and TruePotency.com. So hope that episode was entertaining and informational. And like always, we could use your support and help with reviews. If you could head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast player and drop us a review, that would be much appreciated. We would love to hear your comments. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook with the Sprinkler Nerd private community, as well as our social media profiles at sprinklernerd.com. And I think until the next episode, this is going to wrap it up. So happy sprinkling, and we'll talk to you then.